Welcome to A Word Fitly Spoken, a podcast about Jesus, His Word, and our joy in following Him. I'm Amy Spreeman. And I'm Michelle Leslie, and welcome to another What Would You Do episode. Now, just to review in case you don't remember, there's an ABC reality TV show called What Would You Do? And the premise of the show is that they set up this sort of weird or unexpected scenario in a public place, and they see how people react to that scenario, and then they interview some of those people later about why they reacted the way they did. For example, you know, they might go, the the crew of the show might go into a restaurant and have some actors playing rude customers to an actress who's playing a waitress and see if any of the real customers at nearby tables will intervene on behalf of the waitress, things like that. Right. So Michelle and I are going to do the podcast version of that tonight, the biblical version. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've done this before. We'll we'll link up some of our uh, other episodes on this uh, in the show notes. Uh, but we've each come up with three what-would-you-do type scenarios to ask each other about. But here's the catch. We've kept those scenarios a secret from each other. So mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of stressful, <laughs> but uh, we've both <laughs> got to give our answers off the cuff. So uh, these uh, a lot of these have been submitted by our listeners. Thank you very much. And if you'd like to play along, uh, this is kind of fun. You can listen to the scenario that we read, hit pause, and then come up with your answer, and then hit play again to see how we answered, you know, kind of compare and contrast. You might even like to share your answer with us on Facebook. Or you could do that on Twitter or Instagram, wherever you find us on social media. And uh, of course, you can find the links for that social media over at awordfitlyspoken.com. Life. All right. You ready, Michelle? Be kind. (laughs) (laughs) You're always so scared and you always give such great answers. I mean, better than better answers than I give for sure. But I'm ready. Go ahead. Lay your first what would you do scenario Uh. on me. All right. I guess I guess I'll be the first one to go. So you're the first victim here. Yeah. Um, this one is uh, submitted from Helen on our Facebook page at a word fitly spoken. And uh, she asks this. Uh, Here's a podcast question to ask Michelle. How would you handle a neighbor or a colleague in a new home or a job who is Catholic or charismatic or Quaker, whatever it is, but assumes at once that you and she are just alike because, quote, we're both religious, but she never wants to hear the gospel? All right, Michelle, you're in that situation. What would you do? Oh, wow. Um, I know. (laughs) (laughs) That's a, that's a tough one. My goodness. Um, you know, I mean, if she comes right out and says, I do not want to hear the gospel, then I think she knows that we're not the same because I believe the gospel and she doesn't. So she knows on some level that we're not just the same. Um, because I love the gospel and I want to share it with her and she doesn't want to hear it. (laughs) So, um, I guess what I would do in that scenario is I would just continue to be kind to her and to be friendly with her, you know, maybe um, and definitely pray for her salvation for sure. If she's in some kind of religious system that is not Christianity, then she's not saved, Um, you know, and that just as an aside, that includes Catholicism and Mormonism and a lot of these other things that call themselves Christianity that are not biblical Christianity. Um, so I would, you know, if she needs, um, if she's ever having a hard time with something, I would ask her if I can pray for her, um, just let her know that I'm always there for her. I think I would also let her know. I like to, to let people know, you know, that I'm leaving the door open. Like 
I know you yeah. you don't want to hear the gospel right now, but if you ever change your mind, I would love to share it with you. Or if you'd ever like to talk about how Christianity and what you believe are different, I'd love to have that discussion with you, you know, something like that. So she knows that the door is always open if she changes her mind. So I guess that's what I would do. I would just treat that person the same way I would treat, you know, an atheist or agnostic or your general garden variety lost person and just be kind to that person. And if there's ever any kind of opportunity to kind of sneak the gospel in sort of surreptitiously, I think I would do that. (laughs) She can always stop you and say, I don't want to hear that, but you might get, you know, you might get a lot of it out before she realizes that's what you're doing. I don't know. (laughs) What about you? What would you do? Well, that very wise answer, by the way, Michelle. Thank you. Uh, you know, and I, I, my mind went exactly where yours did. Um, you kind of, if you're, she doesn't want to hear the gospel that she's either not saved because we know that people who haven't been spiritually reborn, uh, really don't have that spiritual understanding or desire for the gospel. So, you know, Bible says they're actually hostile to God. Uh, but the other possibility I thought of too is that, you know, uh, maybe she is born again, but she struggles with pride and arrogance, as in, uh, you know, don't tell me the gospel, Missy. I've been a Christian for years, and I have it all figured out. So so I, I don't know how I would handle that. That's a tough one. But, uh, you know, in the case of her having a different faith, as in, like you said, Mormon, Quaker, uh, Catholic, whatever it is, you know, you could ask her, hey, I'd like to know more about your faith and spiritual journey. Do you mind if I ask you about it? And start that conversation. And if she says no, well, at least she knows like you said, that the door is open and she knows where you stand. So uh, perhaps she could come and ask you about it later when she's feeling a little emboldened to do so, or if the Lord um, opens her eyes to really want to know. Uh, In the case of pride, though, uh, oh, oh, just one more thing about other faiths, by the way. Um, I've learned that Muslims are very often, more often than not, uh, very eager to have, uh, they want to have religious conversations. So that door may be open a little bit wider. Um, so, uh, if, if you're talking with, um, you know, people who are kind of NAR type charismatics, you're going to want to define terms, um, uh, because there are people who actually call themselves charismatic, but they're also very aware of the false teachers who have brought in new apostolic reformation or NAR teachings. And, uh, mm-hmm. that is very rare, but I just applaud those people who do that, uh, you know, to calling out signs and wonders, trips to heaven and that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah. of course, we'll put some links on the show notes on all of those things if you're not familiar. Um, but if she doesn't want to hear the truth because of pride, yeah, get her to talk about herself. People who are prideful love to talk about themselves. So ask her about her conversion or what she believes. And you never know, that door could swing a little crack. You never know. <laughs> so, yeah. um, But it's possible, like you said, Michelle, that the two of you could have um, some things in common or you could eventually become friends. And then um, that, you know, I'm not talking about friendship evangelism, but I'm just right. saying you, you might have that relationship where she might feel more comfortable. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's. I was thinking about fr- friendship evangelism as well. This is not a friendship evangelism sort of thing. This is where you want to share the gospel and you're yeah. looking for opportunities to share the gospel. Um, you're not saying, well, I have to be friends with this person first and build a relationship before I can share the gospel. This is a case yeah. of this, this person saying, I don't want to hear the gospel. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> yep. All right, Amy, are you ready for your first scenario? Uh, no, but go ahead. Oh, you're going to do great. <laughs> this, I think this is the hardest one I have. So if you think okay. this one's not too hard, then you, you'll just know that the rest of them are easier. I can't remember what, I can't remember what the other ones are at the moment, but I think <laughs> okay. this is the hardest one. 
All right. So here we go. This one was DM to me by an Instagram follower. And here it is. It says, you are a foster parent and a mm-hmm. child placed in your home decides that she is now a he while under wow. your care. The caseworker and the bio parents are very liberal and believe it is child abuse not to call her by opposite sex names and pronouns. And they Mm -hmm. believe it is inappropriate to take this child into to take this child to your conservative church. You feel that you risk losing your own children if you do not conform to what this child believes. Okay, Amy, what would you do? Oh, this is a tough one because we know as Christians that um, transgenderism and that there, there is a um, there there is a movement far beyond um, gender dysphoria and it, where people yeah. are confused and and it really is uh, something that the left has taken and has just run with and we're hearing more and more about how Christians are being separated and called out even in some cases persecuted legally uh, because they're not going along with uh, the lie of the enemy that says that you know there's more than one gender or a boy is a girl and a girl is a boy and it's such a heartbreaking thing because you know th- these these kids th- these children are just so vulnerable to um, to the world's ways and uh, especially when their teachers their parents their uh, caseworkers uh, all of these people are uh, authority figures in their lives and and you're just one more but you're a Christian and and how a caseworker would kind of come up with with you as a Christian parent if they know you're a Christian and put this child with you um, um, you, you wonder what the motive is there, but uh, how would I handle that? I would make sure that the caseworker and the bio parents and whoever else knows that I'm a Christian. They they just need to know that they need to be. You need to be right up front with them and say, "Look, I will love this child. I will um, take this child into our home where we talk about the gospel and our faith and and truth. They need to know you're going to talk about truth, uh, and and we do share the Bible." And, um, you know, if that means going to church, then that's what we do as a family. And if you don't want to place this child with us, I will understand that. But we will love this child as if he or she in the proper context of their uh, biological gender, because the two are the same. um, I I will love that child as uh, God created that child uh, and, and make that child feel dignified and respected and not bullied. You know, that I'm anti-bullying all day long. Uh, I'll make sure that child doesn't get bullied at school, but that child actually needs some help. And so uh, I, I'm going to want to make sure that uh, I'm as true to God glorification as I possibly can. Uh, and I would never go along with the lie that says, um, I'm going to be forced to say something that isn't true. So uh, I, I'm pretty strong about that. I, I I can't cave that that would be against what God wants for me. Uh, he wants me to be true. And, and he God loves these children too. Uh, and he knows that they're being confused. He knows that, uh, well, he knows everything. He, he knows what's going on in the schools. He knows what's going on with this agenda. And it I, it's only going to get worse. And, and I know we all think, you know, Michelle, maybe this will just go away. 
Well, it's not going away. In fact, um, just heard about a, a law being considered in Minnesota where uh, teachers who want to renew their licenses, and you have to have a teacher's license to teach in a school, are being told uh, that they need to agree with uh, critical race theory and transgenderism uh, as a, you know, and, the, and that you will teach, not only that you agree with it, but you actually have to agree to teach those things in your classroom. So mm. um, it, it's not getting better. It's not, no. it's, you know, we're, we're not, <laughs> we're, we're not going to be able to fight this by simply ignoring it. We, we need to gently speak truth. And that's my answer. What did you come up with? Well, you know, just as you were talking, something occurred to me. Um, I was, I was just thinking about, you know, those, uh, you may have mentioned this, those, the case in, um, Colorado with the, the, the guy that owns the bakery that's a Christian. Yes. His name is Jack something, I think. And how he's been dragged into court so many times for not making gay wedding cakes. Right. You know, they, they go in there intentionally and oh, ask sure. for that in order to drag him into court. And right. I'm just thinking if you're in this foster child situation, and you go in there and proclaim yourself to be a Christian and say, you know, lay it out all out on the table at the get go and say, um, I'm going to take these kids to church. I'm going to teach them the gospel in my home, whatever that it's good to be honest and forthright with people. But I'm just thinking you could be taken advantage of and they and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, somebody with an agenda could pl- could hear you say that place a child in your home. And then take your own children away, which was one of the fears in the original um, situation, because, I mean, we see how evil yeah. this world is getting. And so that's um, that's where it, even, you know, a lot of people would say, oh, you know, my foster agency is wonderful and that this would never happen. Well, we have seen people saying that, oh, this could never happen in my town or in my church or in my agency or in my school or and then it does. So yeah. that that might be something you might want to think of. Um, but I think it's a situation where, you know, you're really going to have to play it by ear with godly wisdom, maybe get some counsel from your pastor and things like that. As far as, you know, the scenario that I uh, that I gave, um, I think what you do is you pour the gospel into this child as much as you can and take her to church as much as you can, right up to that line of being in danger of losing your own children and no further. And at that point, you call the caseworker and say, hey, I'm sorry, but this placement is not going to work. You're going to need to find another home for this child immediately. And if they refuse to place any more children with you, so be it. And listen, right. do do not feel guilty about that. You are not at fault. The government is at fault, not you. And so, you know, fostering children is, it's a wonderful thing for Christians to do. But the children that God gave you in your family come first. You have an obligation to him and a responsibility to them to keep them safe. You can always reapply to foster uh, other children when your own children are grown and out on their own and no longer in any danger from the government. So that might be a, a solution you might want to think about right there. You have the desire to foster, but maybe you wait until your own kids are out of the home first. You know, and I guess I kind of pushed that to the back of my mind with uh, I, that part of the question. I, you're right; I didn't answer that very well with the uh, with with having your own children and having you know the threat of them being taken away. You're absolutely right. Uh, go up to that line, but your own children do come first. So, exactly, absolutely. 
All right. Well, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> yeah. See, I knew you would give a great answer. All right. All righty. All righty. Well, let's go to the next question here. Okay. Um, this one comes from Angie on Facebook, and she writes this. <clears throat> I want to be in the presence of God when I pray, but often I don't feel like I am. It feels like I'm talking to myself. And I recently came across a book at a thrift store. I didn't buy it, but it was about how Christians can practice being in his presence. And it seemed kind of new agey. So can we biblically practice being in God's presence? What do you think, Michelle? Um, that almost sounds like that Brother Lawrence book, Practicing the Presence of God. And that's if yeah. that's the book she's talking about, that's very mystical. And you don't want to just stay away from that book. Um, but uh, uh, we're in God's presence. God is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. Um, doesn't mean he's in, you know, objects. That's heresy. He's not in objects, but I mean, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. We are always in the presence of God. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, sometimes I feel far away from God too, when, even when I'm praying or whatever. And I just have to remind myself th that what I know from God's word is a whole lot more important than how I feel. I yes. know from God's word that he is, is near me. He's, um, what does that verse say that he is, Maybe I'm thinking of a song. He's as close as the mention of his name. He, though I'm thinking of the verse that says, your word is nigh me even in my mouth. That's a different, never mind, forget about that. But anyway, um, I think we just have to rely on what we know from scripture that we are in his presence and we're just here for a little while. You know, our lives are a vapor. Um, and that separation is only going to last for as long as we are on this earth, we're going to go to be with the Lord for eternity. And it, sometimes focusing on that and focusing on how long eternity is going to be compared to this life where we're separated from God, from his, um, his actual presence, you know, where we can see him and everything. Um, that's going to be very, very short compared to eternity. We've got all of eternity to be, you know, face to face with the Lord. And so that that helps me get through sometimes. So but I yeah, don't don't go out there and buy any books that promise you, you know, how to practice the presence of God or here's five easy steps to feeling the presence of God or whatever. Just get into your word, get into the word and focus on what you know from scripture, not on how you feel. That is very sage advice, Michelle. And uh, I I would only add uh, just a little background on uh, Brother Lawrence because I have a feeling you're right mm -hmm. that she probably picked up that book because it's just that that book title alone has influenced so many people. Um, right. So the contemplative prayer practice of practicing the presence of God actually goes back many hundreds of years, back to the late 1600s when uh, a Catholic monk, Brother Lawrence, wrote that book and the title of it is the the practice of the presence of God. So I just want to give a little background because um, there's a couple of highly influential uh, Christian celebrities who have influenced millions of people around the world uh, with that book. They kind of made that book new again. Um, retired Pastor Rick Warren of Saddleback Church, uh, whom we've warned, warned about, was uh, greatly influenced by this book and wrote about uh, the practice of the presence 
Presence of God and Brother Lawrence in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, uh, and in which he uh, shares six secrets. <laughs> that mm-hmm. word secret should be a red flag right there. Uh, about six secrets to become friends with God. Okay, well, <laughs> one of those is uh, practicing God's presence by doing mantras and something called breath prayers. Um, that's a no-no. Uh, but other New Age contemplative practices. And another person uh, influenced by Brother Lawrence was Beth Moore uh, in her book, When Godly People Do Ungodly Things. She writes, I have picked up on the terminology of Brother Lawrence, who called praying unceasingly, practicing God's presence. Okay. So this is the same book, by the way, and we've talked about this before, ladies, uh, that Beth says she wrote under the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, using a technique where she let her mind go blank and let a force do the writing for her. She calls it the Holy Spirit. It was a spirit of the age. It wasn't the Holy Spirit. Um, but the Spirit even told her when and how to publish this book. And that, ladies, that's called automatic writing. And that is just simply New Age sorcery. When uh, the writers of Scripture were influenced by the Holy Spirit, they were in their right minds. And yes. they had control of their quills the entire time. So don't get into automatic writing. Don't go to a women's conference and get a, a shiny sparkly pen and a pad of paper and say, okay, God, write something down for me. No, that is new age. So anyway, I, I do digress though, don't I? <laughs> so, no, I think that was right on point because I, well, I think that probably is the book that she's talking about or something similar to it. Yeah. So it's good to have that background on it and to know about it. You know, years ago, I che- I found that book at the library, you know, before I was discerning at all. And I checked it out and I tried to do it. The whole, uh, the main idea behind it, of course, this has been like 10 years ago, so I may have forgotten some things, but the idea behind it, or at least one of the main ideas is that you think about God 24 seven, you, you, whenever you find yourself thinking about, you know, like what color socks should I wear or whatever, you redirect <laughs> your thoughts back to God so that you're only thinking about God every single second of the day. It's exhausting. And oh, yeah. it's really works righteousness. If you think about it, this is, it's something you're doing in order to, either please God or to make God do what you want him to do. And so, and it's just not, it's not prescribed anywhere in scripture. There's nowhere in scripture that says that God has designed you with the capability to consciously think about him or anything else for that matter, every second of every day. So, or when you're awake anyway, so. Right. And we just don't need not to physically usher God forth. We can't do that. And I've, I've been in, um, worship team years ago, uh, where worship team leaders will say, okay, the, our purpose here is to bring people into the presence of God. You know, Holy Spirit, come down, be with us. Well, right. he's here all the time. And when we pray, right. we pray to him by name, but we can, we have his attention always by his presence right. of his Holy Spirit indwelling in us. Like, like you said, Michelle. So his grace is sufficient for us. And yeah, you're right. Let's let go of the feelings and just know that he is near always. Right. Amen to that. All right, Amy, ready or not, here is my scenario number (laughs) two. Now, this is the classic, what would you do scenario? So you you and your pastor's wife are friends and you meet for lunch at a lovely little cafe and Mm -hmm. your food is served and something is not correct about her order. And she loses it and just starts viciously berating the waitress. And I don't mean, it 
excuse me, I ordered a baked potato, not french fries. I mean, she's angry. She's insulting, you know, the whole bit. What would you do, Amy? Well, first of all, I'd try to appease the waitress and say, you know what, I just, you know. Go back to (laughs) the kitchen. Let me talk to her. Go back to the kitchen. Let me, let me talk to her. (laughs) I would say, wow, that is, that is something that I've never heard you do before. I, what's going on? Can you, can you tell me why you reacted that way? And then, um, you know, then from here we can go several different ways. If she's like, you're right. I'm just really upset about something and I, I need to apologize. Okay. She knows, you know, she, she knows what she needs to do to go make that right. And listen, we all have our, our moments from time to time. Um, if this is a regular part of her character, I would be very concerned. But if you're friends, uh, this might take you by surprise and it should, uh, because this is your pastor's wife and, and she is, she knows what she's called to be. She's called to be, uh, someone with a quiet and gentle spirit, uh, kind, to everyone. I mean, just, you know, go read Titus 2 and uh, figure out what a woman is supposed to be, and, and she should know that. So uh, right. there, there's something going on with her. I would find out what that is. And then right then and there, I would pray with her about that and pray for her to have uh, that conviction of the Holy Spirit that something's going on inside of her for her to react that way. Because the Bible says we're not to react with viciousness or vitriol or anything like that. Instead, we are to be that kind person. Um, so I, I would hope that she would take care of that right then and there and confess uh, to the waitress or whoever's, you know, whoever's in charge there that she would, that she was just in the wrong and uh, to please forgive her. Um, and then, and then you move on because God forgives. That's so, absolutely that's true. That's my short answer. What was yours? That's what a did great you think? answer. Well, my answer is very, very close to yours. My, my, the first thing I put down in my notes is I said, this would be so out of character for yeah. my pastor's wife that I think I would try, I would try to find out if there's something medically wrong with her. I mean, there, there practically would have to be for Erica to act that way. Brain bleed, fever, parasite, you know, what is wrong with you, girl? You know, what, (laughs) what medical problem do you have? Uh, and then, you know, if there's not anything, you know, actually physically wrong with her that's causing her to act that way, um, I think I would have to rebuke her and, and to state firmly that she needs to apologize to the waitress and leave her an enormous tip. Um, you know, we all have bad days from time to time, but there's no excuse for that kind of thing. One of the fruits of the spirit, like you were talking about, is self-control. And that means we straighten up and we act right no matter what kind of a day we've had or how we feel at the moment. Because we know, you know, we look at the life of Jesus and he was provoked beyond anything that we can imagine. I mean, he had it rough during his life and he had all kinds of excuses to to blow up at people or to get angry or whatever. And he never acted that way. So, and we need to follow his example. So yeah, that would basically be my same, my same answer is what you said. Yeah. And uh, my pastor's wife also exemplifies Titus too. And I'm just, uh, that it would be so shocking. It it wouldn't be about the baked potato for sure. So yeah. (laughs) Oh, alrighty. You ready for the next one? Okay, I'll try my what best. Are we on? Is this the third one? This I think is it your is. third this one. Is my yeah. last one. <laughs> okay. This is a, a, a message that I got, a private message on Facebook, and she. I'll, I'll keep her anonymous. Um, she writes this. 
Hello, Amy. I attend Calvary Chapel. Uh, I've just been there over a year. And this past Sunday, the, the movie trailer for the Jesus Revolution movie was shown. It was also announced that they have tickets available for anyone who wants to go. Our senior pastor was there uh, in the 70s and part of that movement. And Chuck Smith was his pastor and mentor. Honestly, I was disturbed after watching just the trailer, sick to my stomach, actually, and heart sick. I would love to have have your biblical perspective. So, Michelle, this movie, um, it's not even out yet. It doesn't open till mid-February, but the trailers are everywhere. Uh, it stars Kelsey Grammer from Cheers and uh, Jonathan Rumi from The Chosen. Have you seen the trailer? No, I sure haven't. Is is that the one that Greg Laurie is in, too? Because I, I don't know so- if he's in it, but this is about the uh, the uh, I, they call it the hippie movement of the seventies. Yeah, like the Jesus uh, movement. Yeah, yeah, the Jesus movement, flower power, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, I haven't. Uh, the reason I asked about Greg Laurie is because I think somebody asked me about that. Somebody private okay. messaged me and asked me about that the other day, and I'm pretty sure she said check. Smith and um, Greg Laurie were both in it. And I just I had to say I, I'm not familiar with it. But if Chuck Smith and Greg Laurie are in it, it's probably got some problems. Yeah, they'd have to be featured because uh, Chuck Smith has has died. Greg Laurie is bad yeah, news. Yeah, right. So. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, that's I, I right. I say that was, kindly because he's there are ladies, there are a lot of red flags. OK, I'm going to put some more links in the program notes for today. So you good, can do your own good. research. Um. Yeah, I really am not familiar. I've not seen any of the the trailers. I really don't know what the whole thing is yeah. exactly about. Um, and she said that her pastor is going to show it in her church. Is that what she said? Uh, they've got tickets to the showing in a theater. Outside oh, in a of theater. The church, okay, they're, they're providing them for church members. Okay, so the best answer I can give, not really knowing anything about it, except knowing these, you know, that some of these people are in it. Uh, is if the movie is promoting false teachers, um, like Greg Laurie, I mean, I think we would call him a false teacher and anybody else that's in it, like, I don't know who, or if it's promoting false doctrine, if it's saying that this kind of thing is, is good or whatever, and your pastor is encouraging your church to go to it, you need to have a talk with your pastor about that, um, I don't know how much good it will do because he probably thinks this is good and right. But sometimes when you talk to your pastor about false teaching and false doctrine, they he'll actually listen. So let's yeah. let's uh, hope for the best. And so I would, you know, arm myself with some information about the movie, about the doctrine that it teaches and promotes, about the teachers that it teaches, uh, I mean, that it promotes and go talk to him calmly, kindly, nicely about this. Um, But if he digs his heels in like a lot of pastors do and says, oh, you're just a troublemaker, you're just divisive, Mm -hmm. whatever, it's it's time to start looking for a new church. And um, I will try to remember to put that the link to the church finder that's on my blog in the um, in the show notes so that you can go ahead and start looking for a new church because your pastor is, you know, if he thinks this is all great and good and he thinks that you're the troublemaker, that's a problem. And that's, that's not something that's, um, that's not some of a leadership that you should be sitting under. So that's the best answer I can give on that, I'm afraid. <laughs> 
Well, and, and uh, the person didn't say if she was a member or uh, she has been going there, it sounds like just about a year. Um, so she may not have gotten to um, do anything about it. In fact, I, I think that many Calvaries don't have uh, membership at all. You you just come. The, you don't have yeah. to have formal membership in a Calvary church, I believe. At least it was that way up here. Um, you That's know, also and, a problem. I, if a church yeah. isn't practicing membership, you need to get out of that church. Yeah. You know, and uh, what's really, um, I don't like to uh, give reviews of movies that I've not seen. Uh, I did see the trailer. It's, it's kind of all over the place and it looks slick and it's got, mu- you know, music from the sixties. Um, and a lot of very discerning, uh, Calvary Chapel folks are, uh, excited about this movie because it highlights the life of their founder, Chuck Smith. Um, it, you know, and a lot of current pastors can say that Chuck was their pastor, their mentor. So, you know, that, that's very true for, with a lot of Calvary chapels. Um, I'm wondering why they're not more concerned about, uh, Jonathan Rumi's involvement. Yeah. Uh, since many of them warned against the chosen movie, you know, and he's a Roman Catholic and, uh, into all sorts of, uh, very, um, kind of, kind of new age stuff. The other thing to note is that um, the pastor in the movie that they feature, now he's he's long dead as well, is Lonnie Frisbee, uh, whom uh, Rumi plays. He looks just like Jesus in this one too. Uh, But he's, you know, your picture of the average, uh, you know, bearded, robed Jesus that you see in books and movies. Anyway, um, but Lonnie Frisbee did not finish well. Uh, He uh, had a homosexual relationship at one point and was removed from his uh, position in the church, and he sadly died of AIDS in the early 90s. Uh, so he's one of the heroes of the film, and a lot of young people don't know anything about him. Uh, whether they touch on that in the movie or not, I don't know. But we do know that, uh, and it's documented, that Chuck Smith in real life and Jonathan Wimber, the other pastor that they feature, uh, knew about uh, this person's homosexual activities. So Frisbee had confessed this to Wimber, who also is featured in the film. Um, uh, Jonathan Wimber was the leader of the Vineyard Movement and uh, also uh, something that uh, comes with its own red flags. We're going to put some links in the show notes on that for you to research. But again, huge red flags with Vineyard and Wimber too. So if you go, just have your eyes open, be discerning, um, take notes if you want. I mean, and don't afraid to be afraid to speak up to your fellow church members and say, hey, I went to this movie, but I went, you know, with... Um, not an open mind, but well, you can't really read a Bible in the movie theater, but you can, you know, enough scripture to compare what is true to what you're seeing on the screen. And I, I would just, you know, if, if you're going to go, I never tell people don't go, you know, don't go to movies, don't consume these things. If, if you're going to do it, do it with discernment and then be prepared to give an answer is, is my thought on that. Yeah. You might want to um, take. I know it's hard to take notes in a in a movie because it's kind of dark, <laughs> yeah. but I have a notes app on my phone. And if you and, and I also know that they want you to turn, you know, not turn your phone on or whatever. But if you adjust the brightness as far yeah, down as you possibly can, <laughs> you can take some notes on your phone about um, what's wrong or what scripture says is wrong with whatever happens no. in the movie or or whatever. So, yeah. Um, and then maybe you can write about it on your Facebook page or something like that, you know, and, and warn people away from it or something. So yeah, that's a tough situation to be in. It it just breaks my heart. I hear from women all the time. I heard from someone today who said, you know, this, this thing, this undoc, un, 
biblical thing just started happening in my church. I don't know mm. if I should leave or not. And yeah. I thought, ugh. And they've been members there for, I think she said, 10 years. And it's just, it's so crushing when a church that you love does something stupid like that, you know, yeah. and then you have to leave or you have to have a confrontation with somebody or whatever. So, yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah, and if it's something that, you know, is a, a is a clear heresy, that it feels like betrayal. It does. Um, it is a betrayal. You know. It's a betrayal of Christ. It's a betrayal of the pastor's uh, mandate that's that he has been given by God. It's a betrayal of the whole congregation, whether they know it or realize it or not. You know, yeah. it's just, it's it is a betrayal. That's why it feels like one. Yeah, and and a lot of pastors, I will say, pastors need to be studying the scriptures. They need to be preparing their sermons. They don't have time to look at every little thing that that you that you uh, know in your uh, own discernment journey of of looking at things and comparing things to scripture that are in the world that are deceiving Christians. Your pastor might not know those things. Um, your elders need to know, but your pastor shouldn't have to be researching every little thing. That's you know the elders are there to lift him up, and so. So um, if there's something that you know about uh, that is a, like it, like we've said before, a red flag of some kind, bring your concerns to them, um, pastors and elders, and, and make sure that they at least are aware of uh, some of the things that are out there like this. Yeah. Well, I will say this, though. She said that her pastor is getting tickets for them to go see this, and he's promoting yeah. it. They, yeah. they really need to... Uh, there's no excuse for them not looking into whatever it is they're promoting. Now, if something's just kind of happening out on the fringe that they're not really aware of, that's one thing, you know, yes, definitely bring bring that to their attention. But if it's a scenario where like he's recommending a book by a false teacher or a movie like this or something like that, where he he's putting his authority behind it and recommending it. Yeah. There's no excuse for him to be ignorant of of what is in the book or the movie or whatever. He needs he's Titus one nine says that pastors are to proclaim sound doctrine and refute those or rebuke those refute or rebuke one or the other those who contradict it and and yeah. so <laughs> they've got to know what's what's in it so they can know whether this is sound doctrine or whether it's something they need to refute or rebuke so. Amen. And even if you've only been there for a year or six months or whatever it is, and, and you do feel convicted to leave, don't leave quietly. Make sure you explain why. So yes. that's that's my thought. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because the pastor needs to hear that. I mean, we're not saying yeah. you need to march into his office and stand on top of his desk and berate him and say, this is why I'm leaving, or even go in there with an ultimatum, like, change this or I'm leaving. But right. he, not, yeah. he needs to hear that word. Really, it's a word of judgment from God. We're leaving because you're in sin or because you are promoting false doctrine. He needs yeah. to hear that's that's actually a grace and a kindness to him to give him an opportunity to repent and to prick his conscience so that he will come before the Lord and turn away from what he's doing. So he needs to hear that. If you love him before you leave, go tell him this is why we're leaving. So absolutely. All righty. Here is my oh. final scenario, Amy. All right. <laughs> now, I copied this one out of a Christian face Facebook group that I'm in, and it actually happened, not to the person who posted about it, but to a pastor he knows or a pastor he heard about or something like that. So this is a real scenario. Okay. All right. So, Amy, 
Pretend you're a pastor. And of course, since you're a woman, we all <laughs> of know. Of course, you, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, since you're a woman, <laughs> pretend, you have to okay. pretend. Yes. Okay. So all pretend right. you're a pastor. Okay. All right. So a man who's active, an active church member in your church pops the question to his longtime girlfriend and okay. they ask you to perform the wedding ceremony. And they go through premarital counseling with you and everything checks out spiritually and relationally and all of that good stuff. So the night of the rehearsal, the wedding rehearsal comes. Uh, so this is the night before the wedding. Okay. And you, the pastor, find out that the flower girl is a 22-year-old man who's a close friend of the groom. He's listed. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. He's, he's, this actually happened. Okay. Oh, yeah. A and 22-year-old man being a flower girl. Got it. Yes. Okay. okay. And he, I mean, he's listed in the program by name as the quote unquote flower girl and everything, the whole nine yards. Um, it seems that the couple did not want any children at the wedding, but they still wanted a flower girl. <laughs> I don't I explain that. I don't know. And so this dude stepped up and said that he would do it. Okay. So as the pretend pastor in this situation, Amy, what would you do? Okay. I have a question. <laughs> okay. Maybe I can answer it. Is is the dude who stepped up to be a flower girl, is he just a, a funny guy who, um, he's not going to wear a dress, he's just going to be bringing flowers down the aisle? Or is he um, living in sin? What What's the deal with this guy? Well, the, they he didn't have a whole lot of information about that. He did say that the uh, the guy that posted this in the Facebook group said that it was his understanding that the the 22-year-old man was going to be wearing a suit, not a dress. Okay. But that's all the information he had. So, so you he's going to gonna march down. Okay, so he's going to march down the aisle ahead of the bride and toss flower petals. I'm assuming into the uh, on the little uh, white runner that they're going to walk on. Is that uh, that's kind of how what I'm I guess in this scenario? Okay. <laughs> um, if they're doing it for humor, uh, I'm not going to like it. But uh, if, as long as it's not a man wearing a dress, you know, uh, who who clearly is. Um, promoting sin, let's just say, and he's he's, you know, traipsing down the aisle pretending to be female. Um if he's if he's just a guy in a tuxedo tossing flowers, I guess it's okay. It it depends on how it's presented too. So you said there's mm -hmm. a program that says flower girl, you know, John Smith. Exactly. Is that, oh man. <laughs> um and and of course they're all printed up. It's the night before, right. so you can't change the thing and Oh, what a uh, what a mess! Anyway, it, I mean, it's 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 kind of horrible, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. Um, I, I've never heard of a scenario like this before, but it's in a Christian church, and this mm -hmm. person is a flower girl. Well, clearly, he's a man, and mm -hmm. he's twenty two, and he's walking down. I don't. I I'm stumped. You, you got me. I uh, I would probably ask the bride and groom some questions. I'd ask the man some questions, and I would be. Now I'm of course not a pastor, but uh, my job is to make sure that this is a holy union and that Christ is glorified. And I'm going to be given the gospel for sure. Um, and I'm going to be giving it loud and proud and talking about the gospel and about Jesus Christ probably more right. than, uh, you would at, I mean, you know, you would at a normal wedding anyway, but this, this just doesn't seem normal to me. That's because um, it's not normal. <laughs> can I, can I punt this one back you to you? You can punt and say, that. What, what in the world did they say in the group and what would you do? 
Okay. Well, now, listeners, bear in mind that I just sprang this on Amy, and so she hasn't had any time to think about it. My brain is spinning. (laughs) Yeah, I have been thinking about this for probably two or three weeks ever since I read it for the first time. So I've had a lot more time. This is scary. This is why these what would you do episodes just kind (laughs) of like, oh, no, somebody's going to. Yeah. You said you said that the hard one was first and that these were going to be easy. It's yeah. I forgot about this one. (laughs) Well, I, I really I think this is really a situation like you said, where I would need more information. I mean, I wouldn't yeah. perform the ceremony the next day unless the situation was rectified. But the additional information would enable me to explain why I wouldn't perform okay. the ceremony. Right. In in the Facebook group where I read this scenario, the general consensus seemed to be that either this guy identified as a little girl and that's why he wanted to do it. Or yeah, that would be bad. <laughs> yes. Or the couple and the guy just decided together to do this to be silly. Well, that's what I was thinking. And I think a lot more people were leaning that direction. And I I think one person even commented that this is a trend that she is seeing somewhere. Seriously? Yeah, that more people are deciding to do things like this. Um, so obviously as a pastor, I, you know, if it's the former, I can't support the sin of a man identifying as a little girl by performing the ceremony. Yeah. yeah, By performing the ceremony as though this is normal and no big deal. So if that's the case, you know, I can't perform the ceremony, but I also wouldn't do it. Uh, like you said, even if they were just being silly for two reasons, first of all, the, first of all, the other guests at the wedding might think that he's doing it because he identifies as a little girl and oh, that as the okay. pastor yeah. of the church, I'm supporting that. So I can't do that. We're supposed to avoid every, you know, even the appearance of evil. So yeah. I, I wouldn't be able to do that. But then second of all, a wedding, especially between Christians and in a church, just like you said, it's not the place for silliness and mockery. You are taking right. solemn vows before the God of the universe and 300 of your closest friends and family members, you know, that kind of horsing around is not reverent. It is not appropriate. I am sick and tired of the lack of reverence in church these days, whether it's at a worship service or a wedding or whatever. I mean, there are some things that are just you behave appropriately and reverently. You know, what's next? Are we going to have whoopee cushions at funerals? I mean, seriously, this is ridiculous. Yeah. If you want to have fun and be silly, do it at the shower, do it at the bachelor party, do it at the reception. But the wedding ceremony is no place for those kind of shenanigans. Now, anyway, back to what I would do. As soon as I found out about this, I would stop the rehearsal, pull the bride and groom aside and tell them that they would either put a stop to this or they could find somebody else to perform the ceremony and another venue in which to hold it. If I'm the pastor, I think I can say that, right? Yeah. I wouldn't know (laughs) because I'm not a pastor, but anyway. But I I also think that before one more couple came and asked me to marry them, I would have some sort of policy in place that I had to approve of the wedding party, the dresses, any other possible thing that could possibly go wrong so nothing like this happened again. So I think that's what I would do. (laughs) Well, and you're right. And oh, yeah, absolutely. If, if the if the man thinks he's a little girl or a girl at all, a female, then yeah, that you put a stop to that right away. I uh, didn't have much information to go on, so yeah. Um, but your your answer was better than mine. Yeah, put a put a screeching halt to it, or have the wedding outside with someone else leading uh, the 
efficient job. I don't think I I'd guess. even let him do it on the church grounds. I really don't. I mean, sometimes you just have I was to in a park or something. Yeah, yeah go to the beach. Go, you can figure out wherever it is you're going to go and have this wedding, but you're not having it on this property right here because yeah. you, you just have to put your foot down. Sometimes they're everybody's so worried about hurting everybody else's feelings, and everybody's so worried about well, just let them do it. It's no big deal or whatever. It is a big deal. Okay. Yeah. There are things. Oh, I wasn't worried about hurting his feelings. Oh, I know I you weren't. What in the world? <laughs> I know you weren't. But there, this is just getting ridiculous. It's like these days, anything goes and anything shouldn't go, especially in church. And, yeah. you know, some things are a big deal and that's a big deal and you shouldn't put up with it. And who cares if people get mad at you or if it ruins their plans or whatever? There are things that are worth standing up for, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> well, I want to I want to share um something that bothered me this week. Um I uh follow my high school classmates, you know, and um one of them, a, a gentleman that my husband graduated with who was kind of in our circles back in the day, back in the 80s. Um he posted a picture of himself on Facebook walking his daughter down the aisle in a beautiful church and I and I liked it. I thought what a gorgeous picture. It was professionally done. And uh, uh, the packed church, it was an old-fashioned, uh, beautiful church that was built probably in the 1800s. Very, very gorgeous. Um, so I thought, well, I'm going to click on some of these other pictures and see what his daughter looks like. Well, there she was, uh, two brides. Uh, they oh, were no. lesbians getting married in this beautiful church. And above their heads on the high arch uh, that had been written probably a 100 years ago, just this big engraving, Jesus Christ is Lord, uh, mm. the Son of God. And so it was a, and the church was packed of smiling people. And I just, I felt like there was a rock inside my belly. I just, I, yeah. I felt heavy and horrible. My heart just sank. And I thought, I mean, there, there must have been 30 pictures of this church service where people are laughing and clapping and, and no one looked unhappy. Um, they were all, you know, happy that there were these two brides in white dresses up there like like it was nothing and it's ladies this is it's this is where we're at today with many churches that used to be solid i'm sure its founders would be uh, just shocked to see what had happened to their church 100 years later so yeah. Uh, so yeah you're you're right michelle somebody's got to stand up and and do something because this is just so wrong yeah so. i mean history was not made and Great things do not happen through people who go, well, it's no big deal. Yeah. Things happen through people who say this is wrong and it's got to stop. And if I'm the only one to stand against this, I'm going to stand against it because it's wrong. And yeah. and that needs to happen more, not less. <laughs> So. Amen. Well, ladies, stay strong and keep looking up. Know that you are the Lord's. Um, and, and just don't be afraid. Have, have no fear. Be bold. Right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for this. Uh, what would you do episode of Award Fitly Spoken? Would you have handled things differently than we did? You got a great Bible verse to share that applies to one of the scenarios that we talked about tonight? Head on over to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages and let us know by leaving a comment on the post for this episode. We'd love to hear from you. 
We sure would. And before we close things out tonight, we want to thank some of our new uh, patrons and donors. Uh, a big thanks to Cassandra, to Michelle, and to Leslie. Not Michelle, Leslie, but separate. <laughs> Michelle and Leslie, who are new monthly donors over at Patreon. And thanks so much to Jenny, who let us know that she'll be donating monthly through PayPal. Thank you, Jenny, too. Uh, we deeply appreciate all of your generosity. We sure do. And thanks, you know, thank you so much for blessing us financially, ladies. And if you other listeners would like to donate through PayPal or Patreon, like Cassandra, Michelle, Leslie, and Jenny, head on over to awardfitlyspoken.life and click the support tab. And while you're there, don't forget to check out all of our other resources as well. And until next time, make sure you find all the answers to your what would you do questions in the Bible and walk worthy.